Okay, morning, everybody. So if you don't know what Gaga Ball is, it's kind of like dodgeball and like you have a hexagon, like wood panel, so almost kind of like dodgeball slash like cage fighting, like UFC slash all this stuff. So that's going to be uh, super awesome that we'll do. So we'll all, uh, it's gonna, we're hoping that it'll be a great thing for our teens to get all their energy out and uh, just a good chance for us to go. I played a little bit of Gaga Ball in my day too, so that'll be really exciting. Well, today we're continuing on uh, on our series on the character of God. When I use that term, when I use that term character, what exactly does that mean? Think about that. Like if I were to say, describe to me someone's character, what is it that you're actually describing? Who they are as a person, right? Who they are. I would almost kind of say like you describe almost their moral qualities, right? Good or bad. So uh, I have some pictures here that I'm going to go ahead and put up. And I want you to think through, when you see the picture of this person, how would you describe their character? So the first person here. Queen Elizabeth II. What are some things, just go ahead and shut them out. What, what are some character traits that you would, I'm, I'm assuming most of you all don't know her personally, but from what you've heard or what you've seen about Queen Elizabeth? Regal. Regal. Diplomatic. Diplomatic. Smart. Smart. Kind. kind, yeah. Funny. funny. I, a lot of people have described her as being funny, right, uh, recently. So these are some things, just seeing the picture, even though we don't know who the person is, there's certain things that come to mind. What about this second person here? Aww. <laughs> Mr. Rogers, caring, gentle, friendly. So yep. Nice. So nice. Just almost brings a tear to your eye, right? When you, yeah, for sure. Like, em- I think extremely empathetic, right, to anyone who's there. And, and now this last picture. What are some character traits do you think come from this very last person here? <laughs> Don't anger. Mean, impatient, good cook, yeah, driven, I think, I think like a driven or very driven, assertive, controlling, that is not, yikes, that is Gordon Ramsay, um, turd muffin, I don't know, <laughs> I just kind of made that up, right? Well, you can see that we all have, like, these ideas of character just by seeing somebody, right, just by seeing who they are, that they elicit certain responses, certain kind of moral qualities about someone. Well, when we talk about the term character of God, and we use that term here, what comes to mind when we think of the term character of God? How would you describe it? We, the passage that we're taking a look in in this series is Deuteronomy 34, where God himself describes his character to us. It's what he wants us to know his character is. It's, incidentally, the first time he ever described his character. So let's read it here as we open up. Exodus 34, it says... And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, 
maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. So he uses this term here at the very beginning. The Lord, the Lord, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Kind of five character traits, five attributes of him that we're doing a deep dive in. Last week, Rachel talked about compassionate and what exactly that means. I loved the picture uh, that, that she used. That This is the very first time God describes an attribute of his, a character trait of his. And the root word of compassionate comes from a Hebrew word for womb. And that is interesting that God chooses kind of a very feminine word to describe himself. Uses a term that conjures pictures of, you know, a womb, right? Of protection and compassion. And I don't know your view of God. My view of, like, God kind of think of, like, if I were to get a picture, kind of like Father Time, big chair on a cloud, you know, sitting back. Maybe you have a picture, like, you don't quite see the face, but just kind of sitting back. But how interesting is it that God, when he, the first time he describes himself, is womb-like. Somebody who you can get your sustenance from, protection. And we see that terminology here. Well, something that I love about this verse as well, as we're looking through these, that you'll notice there's lots of other ways God could have described himself, right? He could have said maybe words like power, Yahweh, Yahweh, powerful, or words like holy, all-knowing, mighty. But the words that he used, what's interesting about every single one of these words is that the focus of the character traits that he used are to other people, right? You see that he's compassionate to others. He's gracious to others, slow to anger to others, abounding in love to others, and so on and so forth. We see that all of his qualities are relational, aren't they? All of his qualities describe himself in his relationships with us. I just find that really interesting, that when God describes himself, he's describing a very relational and personal God. Kind of in contrast to my view of God as Father Time sitting back on a chair, looking down at all of the people. Instead, he's talking about being connected with humanity here. I think that that's really important, given what's been happening in this passage, the background. We've gone over it the past two weeks, but we see God is affirming his covenant with the people. In the middle of, you, if you will, a marriage ceremony, it's at this time the Israelites said, thought it would be a good idea to make a golden calf, worship it, and have this ceremony around this golden calf that had these sexual elements to it. Pretty gross and grotesque. While God is up with Moses giving out his commandments, giving his law. In the middle of that debauchery, God is wanting to move on from his people, but instead he describes himself as a relational God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. We just see that little glimpse of his heart in the midst of 
all of that debauchery and what's going on. Well, the second character trait that we're taking a look at today is the term gracious. If you think about the term gracious, or kind of the root word grace, right? Grace is the noun, and gracious is the adjective. Someone who is gracious gives lots of grace. That's how the word functions in English as well as in Hebrew. If you think of somebody who moves with grace, what do you think of? Somebody who is maybe kind of, I think of someone who like floats instead of walking, right? Somebody who just is very, very gracious. Maybe somebody like Mr. Rogers in the picture that we saw. Somebody who's very gracious, very kind, very gentle. I've even in, heard of this term grace in the sports world. You can have somebody, a basketball player, that has lots of grace. I mean, they kind of slip in and they slip out, kind of light on their feet. Or you could throw a football with grace. Or maybe a ballerina dancer, right? I don't know. Whatever. That's a sport. Well, the Hebrew word for gracious is a word chanum, coming from the root word for grace, which is chain. Everyone say chain. Bless you. It's interesting because if we look at this term gracious or full of grace and we only apply our English understanding, we will get a part of what God is describing as his character, but we will miss out on the entirety of what he's describing. Because this word chain in the Old Testament is incredibly nuanced and has this beautiful picture that I think is so beautiful and amazing, it's difficult for us to understand. This word chain is used 175 times throughout the Old Testament. It's used a lot. And the literal translation of this word, a better way to think about it in our English, is the term favor. So literally, as you read, it's Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate, and one who gives favor. And I'll be honest with you, as we will go through, and I'll give some examples here. This word is a little difficult to put our, wrap our minds around. Similar to the series that we did a couple months ago, like in Ecclesiastes, the, the Hebrew word havel, right, smoke, where you try to grasp it. I kind of felt that way as I was trying to understand chain for us and how exactly you describe it. It's like, can I get one just beautifully written sentence that encapsulates the word, and I wasn't able to find one because it's so nuanced and so beautiful. But let's look how it's used elsewhere in Scripture. I think it'll help us understand what God is trying to describe about himself. In Psalms, a skilled poet is somebody who is said to have lips of chine, lips of grace. He, he, uh, Psalms 45 says, You're the most excellent of men, and your lips have been anointed with grace. Well, it gives the picture, literally it says, a poet's mouth, if they say beautiful words, that their lips are dripping with grace. Kind of like if you have somebody talking and they're spitting everywhere, right? Kind of that idea. Anyone see one of the, uh, one uh, thing on Disney Plus that I love to watch is Hamilton. Anyone see Hamilton on Disney Plus? Well, you have the actor King George when he's speaking or, or singing, I guess, You'll actually see close-ups, and he's like spitting and all this other stuff. Kind of, anyway, interesting. But that's the picture that 
this uh, psalmist is saying that somebody who is a poet who speaks very beautifully and eloquently, that it's just like this hind is so beautiful, it's almost like it's just dripping and coming from their mouth, taking the gross idea of someone spitting and turning it on its head. Well, how could someone speak with grace or favor? It, it just means that what they're saying is so beautiful. I mean, have you ever had somebody that you, somebody who says something, maybe a poem or maybe somebody who says something and it's just like, wow, what is being said is just so eloquent and beautiful. I mean, you guys hear me preach every week. I get it. You guys get it, right? Yeah, there you go. A little louder laughter than I expected. <laughs> In Proverbs, it talks about you can have a piece of jewelry that's called an ornament of chayim, an ornament of grace. And again, it's like, well, I don't really understand. How could a, how could a ornament, how could a piece of jewelry have grace or have favor? But think about it. If you have, you see somebody with a huge diamond around their neck or anyone have any, like a big piece of jewelry, it makes you look at it and say, that is absolutely beautiful. Look at that. It makes, it brings pleasure to your eyes the same way a poet does when they speak. So you have this hind, which is favor, but also it gives you a feeling of, wow, that is gorgeous. That's beautiful. I can't put to words to describe what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing. And we also see Chaim can be a gift. You can ask somebody for Chaim. In the book of Esther, it's a story of a woman who went to the king and asked the king to spare her people, the Jews. And she said, will you please, king, give me the gift of Chaim. Give me the gift of favor. And the king says that he will grant it because he delights in Esther. Because he sees Esther and delights in her, he will give Chaim. He will give favor or grace. Because of the beauty that he sees in her, he will, extend, he will extend that. So we see lots of different individual people giving Chaim to everyone else. But the person that we see give it more often than anyone else is God. So when God here is ascribing himself, it gives this picture of giving a gift of favor because he's motivated by delight. It's not just, okay, I'll give you a gift. It is, I see and I delight in you that I am a God who gives favor, who gives part of myself because the object that who might be giving it to is delightful to me. Which is a very interesting and very bold statement from God. Because he does this in the midst of like one of the worst sins his people could possibly do. That in the midst of the worst sin that they could possibly do, God says, who I am is one who gives you favor because of my delight for you. Think of like the worst thing you've ever done. Do you know God delighted you, you in that moment? That's who God is. 
It's not something he does. It is in his character to delight because he delights in us. You know, we give gifts and give each other things all the time. But I don't know if we always necessarily, whenever we give a free gift, it's not always done with this concept of chayim, of favor or grace or delight. For work, every once in a while, I'll travel and go to different places. And there's one particular hotel, the Doubletree, that any time I go to the Doubletree, they give you something. Does anybody know what it is if you go to a couple? A warm cookie, that's right. Not just a cookie. They give you a warmed chocolate chip cookie. And I'll tell you what, there's times I go to the East Coast, you arrive like local time at like midnight or one o'clock. And I'll tell you what, that idea of like that getting that warm cookie from the Doubletree Inn is great. So that's a gift, right? Well, sort I mean, I pay like $300 a night to stay there, but it's a gift. Like I don't have to, I don't have to do anything other than I guess pay the money, but uh, to get it. It's not like the concierge looks at me and says, man, look at this guy in his cargo shorts. I want to give this guy a cookie. I'm going to just give him a gift. I delight in this person, this, this wayward traveler. I'm just going to give him a cookie. No, it's a, it's a free gift that's given, but it's almost a transactional gift, right? And I think we do that too, right? There may be times we give somebody something, but it's not always done with this sense of like delight, or this sense of just love, this sense of, oh my gosh, I can do nothing more but to give, pour out my favor on somebody else. I think that's what contrasts when God gives us his grace, when God gives us a gift, versus when we give gifts. I think last week when we were talking in our group, Somebody brought up the idea that it's difficult for us a lot of times to see the character of God or to understand the character of God. Because when we think of God's character, we view it through our own eyes. Right? So I understand what forgiveness is because I have forgiven people. Everyone here ever forgiven somebody before? Please, everyone, raise your hand. No, not as much as I would thought. So. Everybody understands what it means to forgive someone. So when we talk about God and his forgiveness, we understand it. Here's the, here's the disconnect. When we uh, try to understand God's forgiveness, because we also know what it means like to struggle to forgive somebody. Does anybody have, don't raise your hand, anybody have people in your life now that you're struggling to forgive? And what we do is we take that sense and we assume because, it, because that's how we act towards others, that's how God will act towards us. I'm so thankful that God doesn't act towards me the way I act towards other people. And I think that this is one of the things that is very difficult to understand about Hein and this gracious idea. Because I think we understand that concept. We understand, hey, I am delighting in somebody and I just want to be a blessing and give something to someone. Right? Somebody asked me. They messed up. So I'm going to give them the gift of Hein because 
that's great. But then the very next day, they do the same exact thing, and they mess up again, and they ask me again for Hein. And I'm like, well, yeah, all right, I'll give it to you. And then by the fifth or sixth or seventh or 19th time, we get that little bit of, really? You're still coming and asking, and we expect that God's going to react that same way we would in that situation. That's the disconnect that we have. And that's what makes God's character so hard to understand in our own eyes. Because we look at it and we say, where is the catch here? Where is the yabbat? Ultimately, what we see in God's character is that he has decided to grant us his favor, not because we deserved it, simply because he delights in you. Simply because he views you the way we would view a huge jewel, something that's gorgeous, or a sunset. You just say, wow, look at the beauty of that. And that's why God gives his favor. So the way God gives his favor to us is he gives himself. In the New Testament, we see the Greek translation is charis, charis. Grace. And in the Gospel of John, very first chapter in his Gospel, he says that Jesus is God's glorious chorus become human. That ultimately, what Jesus is, is the ultimate Chaim. It's God sending Jesus down unmerited favor for us just simply because he delights in us. We were praying this morning and somebody said in there, can you imagine, it, it's incredibly difficult and would be cruel to send your son, right, to die for somebody that you didn't really care about all that much. See, the reason why he did that is because he loves us so much. The reason why he decided to give that incredible gift of favor is because he delighted in us so much. So we see throughout the entirety of the story of the Bible that this theme of favor, of delight, of beauty, of grace, that when God's people own their failures and they come back to God, he always has a consistent response every single time. And the response is that he gives us the gift of himself. So what I'd like to do now is break into our table group to sit and we have these questions to go ahead and discuss together. And I know we've been doing this a couple of times here, so hopefully we've gotten a little bit more used to the idea of sharing and what this means. So let's go ahead and break up in our groups, and then I'll make sure that we close together at the end. All right.